Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Dr. Margaret Sibley. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the method that she developed to help support parents and teens with ADHD called the STAND Method, Supporting Teens Autonomy Daily. So let's talk about the method that you devised, the STAND method. Mm -hmm. First of all, um, what does STAND stand for? (laughs) It stands for supporting teens' autonomy daily. And we picked those words on purpose, right, because we are trying to help kids gain autonomy, which is we want them to do things on their own. That's That's the biggest theme here. And also, it takes consistency on the part of the parent to help with that. So the daily piece is also really important. Um, You know, remembering that you need to help your kid with something once a week is not the consistency that a person with ADHD needs to be successful. So those are key words. Well, and I do see this, like so many other things, as a family systems issue. Mm -hmm. It really will come from the family. And I think oftentimes, too, if you have a parent who also has ADHD, since it tends to be a family gift, as I like to say, Mm -hmm. that that consistency piece is so important. And that's support. But so talk to us about about, um, you know, I mean, one of the things I liked about reading it, it is very clear to understand. It's sort of very lockstep. It's very, here's what you do, and here's what you do, and here's what this includes. And it's really something that you can grab onto. So talk, walk us through how the program works. Well, we have three phases. The first is the engagement phase. And that phase is designed to hook kids and hook parents into really wanting um, to make a difference in their own lives. And It really has to do with helping people get connected with what they care about most in life. And that's different for every family. And every family is allowed to care about different things. So um, it's really reflecting on those values, thinking about goals that you have as a family, and also connecting with your priorities. Because you can't have your cake and eat it, too, with people with ADHD. Um, You know, you're going to... You're going to go after certain goals at a cost to others. And kind of accepting that and knowing what you care about most really helps people navigate those dilemmas. The engagement phase is followed by the skills phase. Families pick out the skills that they think are most relevant to their life. And we don't teach 10 different skills and overwhelm people. We help them hone in on two or three things right now that could be really making a difference and get good at those two or three things. And you know what? In a year, you can get good at two or three other things. But, you know, really helping people feel like they can master a couple things that'll make a big difference in their life. And after that skills phase, when you've mastered a couple things, now we got to talk about how the, how your daily life and your daily routine is going to shift and change um, in order to support the use of those skills and to support the meeting those goals and those values that you really have set for yourself. So how might one session be structured with a family? I think the key thing is that the first part of the session is really devoted to reconnecting with things that are important to you so that that stays fresh in your mind. And then every single week in between sessions, the critical piece is practicing the skills at home and doing experiments to see if they work. Because not everything that we think is a good idea is going to be a good idea for every family. So families have to collect their own data and they have to be their own scientists on whether something is helpful or not. So we review what happened at home and we kind of work together like detectives going through the evidence we have of it works, it doesn't work, or it could work better if we do it this way um, and and use that as a springboard for the plan for the next week, which is to kind of try another experiment and really get this down right. Um, In the middle of the sessions, usually we do some sort of um, teaching so that everyone can learn a new skill, be it the parent or the kid. And then at the end, we spend time deliberately planning out how it would look to try the skill at home and I really like to go through a method that is almost like 
um, I don't know, it's almost like an interrogation, right? You're like, what would you do if your child left the cell phone at school and the um, punishment for not doing any homework was to take away the cell phone? How would you handle that? Make parents figure Such it out. Such a good question. <laughs> because if you don't figure that out um, today, it's going to happen on Tuesday. And then you're going to feel like not knowing how to handle that means the whole thing failed instead of being like, we knew this bump in the road was going to come and I'm going to be able to do this and handle this in spite of that. And that's really what parents need help with. They don't need help with the basics. They, By the time you have a teenager, you've been through the ringer with it all, right? What you need is to figure out the bigger picture of all of the different crazy things that are going to happen and throw it all off track. Um, that's the hard part. One of the things I like about it is that it incorporates motivational interviewing. Talk about what that is and how it works in this method. Yeah, motivational interviewing is a communication style that is awesome for therapists to use with parents, parents to use with kids, kids to use with anyone. And it's really focused on empowering people to take the reins in their own life and make their own decisions and to figure out what's important to them and live their life um, in line with that. So with motivational interviewing, we talk about the spirit being collaborative, empowering, empathic, really listening to the person you're working with and, you know, learning their story and putting yourself in their shoes because that's how you help them most. And then really helping people um, who are ambivalent about making changes, kind of guiding them through that process of thinking about what change would look like and figuring out how the best way to change um, would be. And it's also a communication style that's focused on affirming others and noticing small um, steps in progress that people have made so that we're not just focused on, um, you know, the bad day we had this week, but celebrating all the successes, even the small ones, which, you know, helps people build confidence and help them realize that, you know, sometimes we're not making quick steps in you know, towards the finish line. But if we're making even small, tiny steps, we're succeeding. Well, and the thing that I love about motivational interviewing in general is that it really uh, gives an opportunity to um, just kind of slow down and figure out if you're applying it to your kid, where they really are. And other things you may begin to notice if you're open really to the line of questioning, you can find out things about your child that they're struggling with that you may not even have known to ask because essentially you're leading them to start talking about what's going on with them. It's really good with teenagers because um, I think teenagers are naturally a group of kids and people who don't um, open up to their parents or adults and may even feel a little oppositional sometimes to those conversations. And um, it's really uh, can catch kids off guard when they're talked to like adults, when people are noticing good things about them instead of harping on negative things about them. And giving them autonomy is huge because they're craving it and it's scary to give it to them. But if you do give them a little bit of, um, you know, independence and opportunity to do things their own way, and they succeed and they get more of that as a um, reward, then that's really empowering. The trick is not to give them more than they can handle and set them up for failure. So you're kind of always looking for, you know, what small step could I trust my child to take, even if it's just in inches, you know, that makes them feel good about doing something more than they did yesterday. And that makes me feel like we're moving, in, you know, forward. 
So one of the things I like about this and and, um, having the book is that it's very easy to understand. So as a practitioner, first of all, for me, it's very clear about um, what has to happen, what each session is going to look like, what the different phases are, and what it involves. And then if I were going back at some point, if I were working with a family, I'd be able to reference any part of this and looking at specific skills. As a parent, I also really like it for very much the same reasons, because I think the tools are in there. Um, to, you know, what everyone, what your kid's responsible for, what you're responsible for, and how that's all going to come together and how the therapist or the person who's teaching you is going going to facilitate that. You know, to me, nothing is more important than that adolescent and that brain development right there in teaching those skills at that point in time. It's like, that's when you're going to have that opportunity because that that time goes by very quickly. And once they're off into young adulthood, it's a lot harder to go back. And once that brain keeps developing, it's a lot harder to go back and do that. I mean, they are really essential skills, um, not just for learning skills, but I think then it changes their perception of themselves and what their own capabilities are, which is such a big place at that point in life. Um what other things for you in developing this? I mean, like, how do you, you know, what are the selling points for you with this? Well, with what you just said, I want to share one thing with the listeners, which is that um, the brain is the most plastic it will ever be in adolescence, which means we have the capacity to learn more. Um, the things that we spend hours and minutes doing as teenagers are ingrained in our brains for the rest of our lives, because that's when our brain is deciding which pathways to keep and which ones to uh, shred, shed, which pathways to shed. So I like shred, actually. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And at the same time, we've done interviews with a lot of kids who are now college age and did stand when they were in middle or high school. And a lot of them told us that they didn't necessarily use the skills when we taught them, but they were in there. And when they got to college, they started using them then. So I have found that to be a really valuable That's thing to fascinating. learn. Yeah. So if you you know are teaching your kids these skills and you are frustrated because they're not using them, just remember, you know, sometimes we do things with kids now that aren't going to pay off for years, but do them anyway. You know, because... Those kids are coming back and telling us in college that like, yeah, like, you know, I didn't take school seriously in high school, but now like I'm in college and like I'm using my planner and I'm actually like using these study skills and like, you know, I actually found them valuable and I didn't care about them back then, but I know them now. You know, they were always there. And it's that, you know, it's those minutes that you put in that help ingrain those things into the brain. So, you know, you know, getting your kids to practice skills, even if you're frustrated because they won't do them unless you, you know, prompt them to do them you're still doing you're still doing good by doing that you know you're not going to see the rewards always but just do it anyways Mm -hmm. and yeah that's a very good point how is the program disseminated how are people trained to um, provide the service to families and how is it offered well, luckily, we have put it in a book, which gets it out there to some people who um, like to learn by reading. So that's one step. If you're a therapist and you want to learn how to do this approach, the one thing I'll say is that getting foundational skills and motivational interviewing is what's going to bring this to full capacity. Um, you know, a lot of folks who I've talked to struggle without those MI skills because of all of the things that families with um, kids with ADHD struggle with 
it's like really disorganized and hard to pull it all into perspective unless you kind of know that MI approach of like, you know, making decisions based on values. And those skills are for therapists to learn can be challenging. You have to put in practice for that too and get good at it. And But when you do, it really pays off for families. So I say if you're going to ask families to put in hard work, you got to put it into in order to like serve them the best. I mean, in terms of training, if anyone's ever interested in training, you can reach out to me directly because we have a team of three trainers um, who speak Spanish, English, and Portuguese. Wow. And we will train, um, you know, different folks who, who request it. And um, from time to time, we do have national trainings for people to come to as well. So um, we try to post those on the website when they're happening. Um, but in general, you know, you can also uh, access some online modules that we've put up there just to help get the word out. And um, if you have MI training and you read this book, I think you'll probably be halfway there, no matter who you get that MI training from. Where uh, where do you recommend or what are the different places that a therapist could go or a practitioner could go to get um, MI training? So if you go to the Mint website, the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers website, um, they have a calendar there with all different cities in the world and dates for trainings. And so that is often helpful because you can find something closer to you than um, something that's really specific that, you know, we might be doing. Um, so that's usually the best place. You can get MI training from a lot of people, but what I can say is that people who are in the Mint have been vetted to make sure that they're competent trainers. So, um, you know, that's worth something. So you have just um, come to Seattle, um, professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the University of Washington and Seattle Children's Center. What are you working on right now? Like what's what's going on with you? Right now, my team is listening to thousands of hours of therapy tapes from Stand, trying to figure out what makes the good therapists good and the not-so-good therapists not so good. And um, we have money from the National Institute of Mental Health to do this so that we can start helping therapists with more than just what to teach, but like how to teach it. We're really committed to those process issues. And anyone who's worked with these families in a therapy situation knows how challenging those are. You know, issues like when the families want to just complain about the like thing that happened this week and they're so emotionally consumed by it, but you're trying to teach them a skill, like what's more important to do? Like say, sorry, we can't talk about that. We've got to teach the skill versus letting them talk, but never getting to any teaching because you're always letting them talk. I mean, therapist dilemmas are endless in working with challenging families. So we're trying to solve some of those mysteries by listening to therapy audio tapes. We're also bringing some of this into the schools. So one of the things we're doing is training um, 11th and 12th grade honor students in some of these approaches and kind of a way that high schoolers can handle. And they're working with ninth grade peers to be able to, um, you know, go into the school and, and reach kids directly in ways that they might be interested in. Working with, you know, cool older kids is a way to maybe get them interested I in treatment. I love that. Are you working with a school district uh, in the Seattle area? Hopefully we will be. This is something that we've been doing in Miami and now we're starting to reach out to schools here to see who wants to work with us and do it. I bet I know some. Good. <laughs> Yeah, well, we want to work with anyone. Um, and are you teaching right now? Are you focused on research? Most of my teaching is in therapy training. So a lot of times I'll work with people who are graduate students or clinical residents who are trying to learn to be clinicians and um, listen to their tapes of them doing therapy and giving them feedback. So that's a role that I'll be taking on here as well. Yeah. All right, great. What would you like to add either about STAND, your book, your publications, or ADHD that we didn't talk about? I just want to tell, you know, families and teachers 
of parents and kids with ADHD just hang in there. It's so hard and it's a chronic disorder and change doesn't happen fast. And there is a world of people like you who are so frustrated with these dilemmas and you're not alone. Um, you know, connecting with others is so important. Organizations like Chad, you know, being able to connect with other families through that. They have an annual conference every year, which is really empowering for folks to meet other people or looking into your area to see if there's support groups. Like, you know, just kind of find a group of people who are going through it with you and and just know that, like, there's a lot of professionals out there who totally feel what you're going through and are there for you as well. Um, just don't, you know, keep yourself on an island. Uh, very well said. So tell me where people can go to find out more about the stand method to reach you social media website, what kind of information and I'll leave a link as well. Yeah, that's great. So if you're interested in reading the book, um, you can get it even on Amazon, you know, just type it in. Um, and if you like it, leave me a good review so it could stay in print. And my website is www.margaretsibley.com. Um, on there, I not only have links to the book, but also the training videos that I mentioned. And that's where we'll post information about trainings. We have a list we're compiling of people who are interested in training. So you can go there and put your name on the list. Um, or just email me. I'm really receptive to emails because my number one priority is, you know, the people who are all actually out there and struggling with things. So I really try to put time into connecting with everyone who um, who reaches out. Dr. Maggie Sibley, it's really been an honor. I'm so happy to meet you. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That concludes my interview with Dr. Margaret Sibley. If you missed part one, where we discuss ADHD in more general terms and from the research and what's more current, do go back and check out that episode. For links to information that we discussed in the show, see the show notes. Also, you can visit my website at homeworkisstupid.com and please subscribe as well as tell a friend. Thanks so much for joining me.